have it. All right. Well, hey guys, it's great to see y'all. So we uh, just a couple of just a couple of things. You did receive those cards as you came in. Those are for us something that we want you to be intentional with. Uh, this Easter, if you're uh, on virtually online, again, we just encourage you to, you can come in and get a card if you want sometime, but the heartbeat for us is that we, we honestly want to, um, want to be intentional, recognize, even just said today, that, that you're having been given um, the, God's spirit and salvation, the expectation and desire then of God is that you then take the good news of Jesus and you share that with others who are around you. And, and Easter is one of just a beautiful time to, to do that in a real practical sense. On Sunday, that Easter Sunday, we're going to be very intentional telling the Easter story, uh, talking about the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to close this for you, Christy, because I can't see you. There you go, my friend. Uh, and, and it's the, this one to share the gospel. So on Sunday, that Easter we're going to do the we're going to do baptisms and experience baptisms, enjoy baptisms, and then I'm going to share the good news of Jesus. And I would love for you to be intentional about who you're praying for. I, I want to say this to each of you uh, with a level of conviction behind it, and it's simply this: It's great to have Christian community. It is, but Jesus had as many non-Christian friends as he did Christian friends. As many non-Christians, he was investing his life into and giving himself away. He didn't just create his little safe, holy huddle that he could just kind of do life with and then die with and then never having given his life away. The expectation, the expectation of Jesus for every single one of you as a Christ follower is that you share what's been given to you. And if you can't name people that you are loving, who are in relationship with, who don't know Christ, then I would just say you need to find some. You just need to find some because that's just the call of the gospel to give away what you have. Okay, so that's just my loving pastoral challenge to each of you. And I would say this would be a great starting point. I'm simply asking you to take a, a, a card. I think all of us know Easter is fun. And baptisms are powerful and amazing. Uh, it's just so easy to express the gospel. And we're going to share that gospel on that Sunday morning. Uh, if your people don't want to come, then that, that's not, then I encourage you, well, that's great. Then you just go to them, right? And uh, you love on them that week and bring them a meal and tell them you love them and talk about what you talked about on Sunday morning at church. And let's just begin to actually share Jesus with those who do not know him, right? That'd be super great and I'd appreciate it. Okay. Um, and then lastly, I'll just say this night of prayer and worship is coming up this week. Uh, I don't, let me see if it's real quick on here. I'm not sure. It'll, it'll send on my notes. Uh, but night of prayer and worship is coming up to Thursday night at seven o'clock here. I do want to invite all of you to be here. It's going to be a powerful time and I'm looking forward to it. I think again, patches into what we're talking about. We are in this series. Do you have that, Josh? This the little uh, encounter promo thing that needs to be up here on the screen. Thank you, right there. We are in the encounter series. Not really on prayer. It's not really fasting. It's just really on prayer, uh, fo- focusing on prayer. And we may we may touch on fasting. These pieces we give ourselves to, the disciplines we give ourselves to. But we believe this this is that this that we are a people who've been called to encounter Jesus, right? And we encounter him, and as we encounter him, it produces momentum, which is what we talked about for several weeks leading up to this time. 
And we believe the primary way that we encounter Jesus is through a life of prayer. Yes, worship is important. Yes, reading your Bible is important. But ultimately, the number one thing that we give ourselves to that produces encounter, that produces an an understanding and knowledge of Jesus is a life of prayer. The reality is simply this. There are people who have never been able to read. And so they can't read their Bibles, but they can pray. And so the number one thing we can give ourselves to, we can invite people to, is a life of prayer. And a life of prayer, we believe, then produces great fruit as we encounter him that then produces momentum in life. And so the invitation to each of us is to build and to grow in an exciting, life-giving relationship as a life of prayer in relationship with God. We looked at it last week, and we're basing the upcoming week, that last week, first two weeks, this week, and then the upcoming weeks on Luke chapter 11. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer of Jesus. You remember, we talked about it when Jesus' disciples, they came to him and said, Hey, we've, we, we've, seen, we've seen John the Baptist teach his disciples how to pray. Like they, we know that they saw the fruit of the life of prayer that Jesus had in relationship with the Father. Powerful things were happening. And they said, will you teach us? Will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, absolutely. Absolutely. He said, when you pray, which was, the, which was from last week, rejoice, right? Our Father in heaven. which says, say this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But I want to say, for last week we talked about the idea of prayer from Luke 11 being an acronym from the word PRAY, P-R-A-Y. We pause, we rejoice, we ask, and then we yield. We pause, we rejoice, we ask, and then we yield. This morning we're going to be talking about the word rejoice taken from our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. That when we come into his presence, there's a sense of rejoicing. Now, you know what rejoicing looks like. You know what it looks like. Biblically speaking, rejoicing is what you think that it is. Rejoicing is something occurs, and then you have an outward manifestation of an inward experience that causes you to celebrate, causes you to be jubilant. This past week, we had a couple of things happen in the sports world for Vintage 242, specifically the Hambricks. Number one, Sarah Hambrick scored her first goal ever in lacrosse, right? Like, it was a great moment. I got it on video, the whole thing. She's like, oh my gosh, Dad, right? But literally, I told the entire, listen, I told every single parent for the Mount Perrin lacrosse team, listen, Sarah, if she scores a goal this year, I'm taking all y'all out to dinner on me and so literally she scored that goal everyone got super excited not for her because of the free dinner we all went out on my dime last 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 week with her right and then we the other night we went to the uh we went, went to the north paulding alatuna lacrosse game but we got we started getting excited North Paulden was down. They scored a goal with like a minute 24 to go to tie the score at 7-7. And all of a sudden, with 10 seconds, buddy comes around the edge from the crease, comes back around, shoots behind, scores with 10 seconds, and they beat Alatuna for the very first time. And there was massive rejoicing. Weeping was happening. Super excited, right? We were all going nuts. We went out afterwards, right? Some of the parents, like we were there with like the, uh, we, anyway, we were there just having a great time. Sorry, we're going, 
Flora McNeil, went out with Jay and Jen Goodman, and we just sat there and celebrated and had a great time rejoicing. We walked in. I'm like, I said, what's up, everybody? North Paulding won. Woo! Ryder's like, what's this weirdo doing, right? Because that's what you do when you rejoice. You know what it looks like. And so rejoicing, yes, it's an internal experience, but the idea, even biblically, it was something to be expressed outwardly. It was something that was caused to well up and to look and to celebrate, to be jubilant about. And so we come this morning, that's what this is talking about, our Father in heaven. We rejoice because hallowed is your name. It's an expression of worship. It's a, it's a time of celebration, of remembering who he is, of celebrating what he's done. The idea and expectation of Jesus is that when we come in to be in his presence, that we pause, but then we rejoice. We, we focus on the goodness of God. We focus on his faithfulness. We tell and retell the stories of his movement. We remember, we celebrate who he is. We celebrate what he's done. We celebrate, we rejoice. It's an outward expression that we give before the Lord. One conviction that Grieg talks about, so we've been looking at this book, How to Pray, is kind of the foundation for our, for our messages. Pete Grieg wrote a book, How to Pray. One conviction that Grieg talks about in his book, and it's honestly a conviction that I've held for many years and talked about a hundred times, and it's this, it's on the screen. He says, the first one, the way. The way, view, the way we view God affects everything about everything. The way that we view God affects everything about everything. I add, how you believe God views you affects everything about everything. Think about how you live your life and the, and the things that you do and, and, the, and the things that you buy and the sin that you commit and the relationships that you have and how you, as a Christ follower, how you view all of these things in your life Based on how you view God and how God views you, it affects everything of everything. Think about this. If you view God as angry, you view God as judgmental, then you will live trying to perform to make God love you. I'll say that again. If you view God as frustrated and angry and judgmental, then you will live trying to perform to make God love you. Like you just never quite measure up. If you view him as distant, you view him as removed, then you will feel the need to work harder and rely on self for everything because you'll have to do it in your own strength. Or if you view him as kind, you view him as compassionate, and you view him as loving, you will live life experiencing a higher level of peace, and of confidence and joy in life. How you, listen, how you believe God views you affects everything about everything. And the way God, listen, in the way that God, view, we, the way we view God affects everything about everything. Here in Jesus' prayer, he recognizes that. He says, so listen, the very thing, first thing, as you, after you pause, the very first thing that I want you to do, the first focus the first focus is the Father heart of God. That's why it's on the screen. The first focus is the Father heart of God. When Jesus comes in, he says, all right, when you pray, say this, 
Father or our Father in heaven. Now, for Jesus, obviously, this is incredibly intentional. One of the most powerful identity-producing verses in all of Scripture is this line of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. We see it in Matthew chapter 6, but we also see it when he's teaching his disciples how to pray in Luke chapter 11. Remember, the disciples have asked Jesus how to pray. He begins by telling them, the first thing, you pause, and then I want you to address God. And it would have taken them by surprise his response. They would have been maybe a little bit shaken, a little bit confused. Some of them may have even viewed this as a little bit scandalous to come in and start the prayer as Father or Our Father. Because only 12 times in the entire Old Testament is God viewed as Father. And it was never in an intimate, prayerful, familial type relational way it was only to talk about god as father of abraham or father over the entire nation of israel historically in the old testament god is not viewed as this personal intimate father that we name as father when we talk to but it's fascinating to see that when jesus prays 70 times in the gospel 70 times when he starts his prayer he says father He says, Father, the only time he doesn't say, Father, is when he is on the cross and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time. Like for us, it's natural, isn't it? How many times when you pray do you start with the word Father? And you do that because Jesus taught you to do that. It's become a natural thing. In fact, you don't even really think about it. It doesn't really carry much weight to it, probably. It's just like, it's just the intro. Father, I pray that you, blah, 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 whatever it is. And you kind of just gloss over that word, Father. But for them to hear this, for them to think about this, for them to accept this, would have been overwhelming to them because no one had ever taught this before. But what we see is Jesus is looking at them and saying, listen, I have modeled for you what is available to you. I have modeled for you an intimate, familial, and relational relationship with God where we are intimate as son and father. And I want to invite you into the same familial connection. I want to invite you into the same relational depth as you being able to call him father. It's an intimate, familial, and relational expression and it's the place that prayer starts listen i'm not a perfect dad sarah can attest to this so can randall but i'm a pretty good dad i am like i work hard at it right i i give my energy to it but i do it because i love it like old I'm completely accessible to them at all times. The only time I don't answer my phone when they call is if I don't have my phone or it's silent and I can't hear it or I literally just cannot answer it for whatever reason it may be. But other than that, I am always accessible. I don't care if I'm talking to the President of the United States of America. If Sarah calls, I'm like, hold on a second. Someone more important than you is calling. Hey, babe, what's going on? Because the nature of it, right? I give my life to them. The nature of being a father, everything I own belongs to them, right? I look and say, hey, I want you to enjoy the things that I have. Think of the, the elder son when the father who represents God says, oh, my gosh, I'm broken. Don't you already know that everything I have already belongs to you? Listen, when I'm looking for my bedroom slippers, I don't look in my room, and I don't look in my closet. I look in Sarah's room or I look in AK's room because everything I have belongs to them, right? 
This is the nature of this familial relational relationship that we have. She's priority. And so I love that Jesus is saying, this is how the Father is. When you enter in prayer time, listen, my kids have great confidence in our, my relationship and love for them. They don't question that. And so what Jesus is saying, when you enter into God's presence, this is the familial, relational, intentional level of investment you, he has into you. This is how I want to invite you to view him, because it will change everything of everything when you pray. That's why it says, when you come, don't let your faith be like the waves up and down, but have confidence that what you ask for, you will receive, right? It's this beautiful piece thing because you're coming to a father who is intimate, who is personal, and who is relational. I recognize that one of the great tensions we face in life is some of us didn't have good fathers, or we have emotionally disconnected fathers, right? And so we have a hard time connecting with this. So I just simply say this, what in your mind is the perfect expression of an intimate, personal, and relational father? And God would say, well, that's actually less than who I am as you come to me. So part of our prayer is saying, God, would you just awaken me to an understanding of your father heart? Awaken me, God. So Jesus' teaching was an invitation to his disciples to step into a level with intimacy with God. They had never deemed and never dreamed of as being possible, but it's what he was experiencing, and he was simply inviting them to the fellowship that he already had. He's our model. So I want you to write this down. This is the phrase I want you to write down in thinking about this. I think it's me on the screen. Prayer is about communication. It says prayer is about communication with God, but more importantly, it is about communion with the Father. Just let that sink in. Prayer is about communication with God. But more importantly, it's about communion with the Father. It's just a way that we begin to think as I come in. Communion speaks to relationship. Conversation just simply speaks to transaction. Communion speaks to relationship. Conversation speaks to transaction. Again, in this life, the takeaway for us is the greater our knowledge of God as Father, the greater understanding of God as Father, the greater intimacy. The greater the intimacy, the greater our peace. The greater our peace, the greater our expectancy and rejoicing while in prayer. Say that again. The greater our knowledge of God as Father the greater our intimacy. The greater our intimacy, then the greater our peace. The greater our peace, then the greater our expectancy of God's movement, and the greater our expectancy of rejoicing while in prayer. Grieg says this, and this will be on the screen. It says, the deeper we receive our identity as dearly loved children, the greater our desire to spend time with our Father in prayer. We will start telling him everything and dare to ask him anything because we now know that as Jesus says in Matthew 7:11, your father in heaven loves to give good gifts to those who ask him. Leave it on the screen for a second. If you remember from Matthew chapter 7, he says, though, he's talking to the, he's looking, let's say he's looking at fathers. He says, though you, listen, though you being evil, as fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What he's saying is, he's saying, he's not really calling you evil. What he's saying is, in comparison to me, it's as if you're evil and you're still pretty good at being a father. I am that much more. And that is the entry point into prayer. Every time you say, Father, I would simply say it's this. This is a real practical piece. Take a deep breath and hear this. Every time you say, Father, just stop and go, "Mm, I love being your kid. I love who you are. Every time you say, Father, it's an invitation to remember the, the, the invitation from Jesus to a family intentional, intimate relationship. Again, our Father is an invitation to communion like nothing we've ever experienced before. But I want you to also recognize that Jesus' second focus, this is on the screen, Jesus' second focus in prayer is an invitation to view God as a holy God who we revere. Hallowed, holy, set apart, completely other than is your name. It is your name. I talked, uh, I talked back in the fall about our trip that we took to Europe and sitting in Switzerland and sitting in a little town called Gimmelwald, sitting at a restaurant, perfect blue sky day, right? And we're literally looking at the Alps, right? It was one of those moments, right, where there's snow capped up here and then rocks coming down and grass at the bottom. You had like base jumpers who are now in their parachutes and just whoo, floating by like this. Some type of bird was flying by. I don't know what kind it was, but it was real pretty, right? And we're just sitting there enjoying myself. And I have to say, I found myself stopping. I found myself stopping and just focusing on Jesus, right? Randall was doing her own thing on the other side of the table. I'm on my side doing the thing. And I had this moment where, to be honest, like I just felt really close to God, right? Have you ever had those moments where you just experience beauty, you recognize he designed it, fashioned it, shaped it so we could enjoy it. And I'm sitting there going, oh, you're such a good God. You're such a good God. You're a great father. And this felt very close to God. Those moments I felt intimate with God. I felt his nearness in the moment, right? I was experiencing God as Father, but at the very same time, the very same time, completely connected to it, I'm sitting there going, my gosh, this mountain has been here for a long time. It's here today, and it'll be here a long time after I'm gone. God, in this moment, I look at that and go, you created it. You were big. You were holy. You were completely other than, and I felt this moment of me being small and of God being big, of him being great, of me not being. And I had this moment of, like, holy reverence, like that, like, oh, kind of like the fear-type moment. Like, you know, you stand on the edge of a cliff, and you look over and go, oh, and you feel it in your body. I felt that moment. What I was feeling in the moment was the nearness of God married to the holiness and a reverence of who God was as a holy, completely other than, separate being from who I am. He is big, and I felt my smallness. And I'll be honest with you, both expressions of God led me to worship and rejoice in him. Have you ever had that moment where you're just so glad that God is big and strong and not like you and not made in your image and just makes you thank him and rejoice. That's the nature of what he's getting at here. Our father, 
who is holy. It's a paradox. Two seemingly things that are separate, but they are married and perfect together in cohesion. So God is this father, but he's also holy. William Barclay in, in the book that we're reading, he sums it up well. He's quoted. He says this as well on the screen. says, Hallowed be your name saves the idea of the fatherhood of God from all sentimentality and just warm, fuzzy feelings and sets down in unmistakable terms the inescapable obligation of reverence. I would just say this. One of the great dangers of the culture of today is we are way too familiar with a God who is unknowable. And that we can know about him, but we can't know him fully. It's inexhaustible. He's too big. He's too great. When's the last time you sensed such an awe and reverence about God that you were almost afraid to walk into his presence? You knew you could because he's your father. But you felt that tension. A literary picture I always think of is found in the writing of C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from the Chronicles of Narnia. Right? I'll never forget the interaction between one of the primary characters, Lucy and, and Mr. Beaver. When talking about Aslan, the Christ God figure in the book, Lucy asked this question, not on the screen, but it says, talking about Aslan, because they've been talking about him, how great he was and how perfect he was. And she goes, because she's a lion, is he safe? Is what she asks. Is he safe? Mr. Beaver responds, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is the king, I tell you. Mr. Tumnus comes in later. And she goes on, she says this. Mr. Tumnus says, he's wild, you know. He's wild. He is not a tame lion. He is not a tame lion. How much time do we spend with an overly familiar God where we think we have got him in a box and that theologically we can make him do what we want him to do if we just say the right prayer and remind him of the right Bible verse and just make him and squeeze out of him what we want from him without realizing his ways are not our ways. We live in this place of the fatherhood of God. He's knowable and the awe and holiness of God where he's unknowable. We live in this tension. And it just says, God, you're so, you're so good. You're not tame. I don't have you in a box. I can't crack my whip and make you move, God, because you're holy. You are holy. When reading the Psalms, David paints different pictures of who God is, right? Through his Psalms and his songs and his poetry. He tells us, you know, the Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd, right? Who makes us to lie down in green pastures. That, that he is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. We love this language. It doesn't call him a father, but it's language of a father. It's language of someone who's compassionate 
and tender and near to us. And David knew, David knew God this way as someone he could lean into and, and trust. We know even in Exodus 33 that it says that Moses would speak and so would sit and speak with God face to face as a friend speaks with a friend. Very intimate, relational, familial type relationship in the Old Testament. But, but then we have David come in and in chapter uh, Psalm 103. Speaking of God's holiness, right? Speaking of his power and his majesty, his otherness. It says in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 103, it says this, The Lord reigns. He's king. He's Lord. He's holy. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. So let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. God is a father. God is holy. He is tender as a father, but he is not to be messed with because he is Lord. Did any of you ever have that moment where you had a recognition of that and learned from that in a physical sense by watching your dad respond to something? Anybody in the room? Put your hand up. Had that moment of like your dad's tender, but dad is not to be messed with. I had a bunch of those. I'm going to tell you one of those. Oh, there you go. Gideon calling dad out. I love that, right? Now, I'll never forget, man, I'm working at TNS Marine. I'm about 22 years old, right? I had this interaction with, a, with one of the guys who, who was got, coming in to buy a boat, and, and he just didn't like how I was talking to him, and I didn't do anything wrong. I want to be honest with you. I'm like, I was trying super hard. I was working with the guy, and he was just getting frustrated because I was I, because of my dad set rules in place, and I couldn't break those rules. He was trying to get me to break those rules. I wasn't willing to do it, so he got fed up with me and says, I want to talk to the owner. I said, you don't want to do that. He's like, I want to. I want to talk to Terry's his name, right? I'm like, yep, that Terry's his name. He's my dad. Well, I want to talk to him right now. All right, go around that corner. There's a door. Feel free to walk in. So he goes in the front door. I go in the back door. Dad's leaning up against the wall. I said, I'm just going to watch and see what happens. Now, my dad had anger issues growing up, right? He was one of those deals, like his, his primary emotion he went to, like most men, was anger, right? But my dad was a Christian, and he had been very convicted by this. And, men, he'd been working very, very hard to control his anger, right, and to try in the moment to live humble, to, to love people well, to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so he was doing that with this guy. This guy's just railing on him. Well, da-da-da-da, your business, and da-da-da-da, and you. And my dad's taking it. It's like, hey, man, I'm so sorry you feel that way, blah, 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 and then you your son. My dad just perked up. He said something negative. He kind of railed on me. And dad just shook his head. All six foot four of him stood up and towered over five foot eight little buddy. And my dad just with truth being his anchor said, you don't talk about my son. This is wrong what you said. This is wrong, and this is wrong, and it's untrue. And he just let him have it for a good 30 seconds to the point that every single person who was working in the bay back over here dropped everything they were doing and came to the door with eyes like this, just looking in to see what Terry was doing, right? And the guy was like this, looking up, literally looking at my dad just like this. 
my dad got done, said, you can leave now. And the guy just walked out the door and began to run to his car and drove up as fast as he could. Every single one of those men who was working in the bay said, ooh, like this, went back and worked harder than they'd been working all day long. I looked at my dad after everybody had left, and I just said, thank you. And I want you to know that you never crossed a line. Everything that you said was true. And he just kind of looked at me, kind of shook his head, sat down, and I went back and worked harder than I've been working all day long. You see, in my relationship with my dad, like he is tender and compassionate. He is. He treats me, I've always said my entire life, he treats me differently than anyone else in the world until my grand, until his grandkids came along. Tender and sensitive, right? Um, trying to be emotional with us. You know, that's not hard for him, right? He treats me differently. But he also had this part over here that needs to be revered. They need to be honored because of the man that he was and the role that he played in our lives. Like, it's an imperfect example, but it did set the tone for me. I walked away from I walked away going, God, there's, I literally prayed that day, God, there's something like you and just what happened with my dad. Because we walked away, every single person at TNS walked away going, he is a good boss, he is a great dad to me, but he's not to be trifled with. Like, he's not safe in those moments. And I think you understand that moment, right? My dad expressed as a human being to me, kind, humble, and compassionate. He became wild and wanted to be feared. Listen, this was simply a glimpse. What we know to be true about God, he is glorious, majestic. He's not to be trifled with. He is not tame. He is not safe. He is not in a box, but he is good, and he is kind. He is a loving father. That's the peace. Our father in heaven, yes, you are so good. Hallowed is your name. Holy is your name. To be revered is your name. To be feared in a holy sense is your name. God is a loving, intimate father. God is holy. Both attributes are 100% true. And so when we are learning how to pray, when you, when you pray, when you pause, when you stop, when you focus on God, like we said last week, we pause. We then rejoice. But our rejoicing is birthed out of recognizing this paradox that are completely working together, that we enter in confidence, knowing he's accessible as a good father, that also he is holy at the same time to be honored and to be revered. We come confidently. We recognize I don't have God on a leash. I am not the center of this world. He is and his will, his will trumps all things. That's how we pray. God is Lord. So as we end, we end where we started. The way that you view God entering into prayer, it affects everything about everything. It affects everything about everything. And how you believe God views you affects everything about everything.
As we worship to end our time today, I want to invite you, one, we'll have ministry teams available on both sides, and you can come receive prayer for anything that's going on in your life. Second, I want to invite you to have an honest conversation beginning this morning and this week about how do you view God and how do you believe God views you? How do you view God and how do you believe God views you? It affects everything about everything in your life. What level of confidence do you have of entering in and naming him as father and experiencing the confidence and the beauty, right, of coming boldly before him knowing he is for you? while at the same time honoring him as the one who is Lord, who we say, God, I come, I'm going to pray into this, Lord, but ultimately, Father, I want to know what your will is and pray your will because I want your will to be done. I don't know all things, but I know that you do. Coming and then rejoicing, saying, but God, I'm just thankful that you are a good Father, and I'm thankful that you are God of the universe and the God of my universe, not me. And have an honest conversation. And then begin to ask God to awaken both of these pieces. And you've been doing that. I've been literally preparing for this week. I've been asking God to awaken his father heart for me. I've been asking God to awaken understanding of his holiness in my life. I just invite you to do that. As we come this morning, take communion. I invite you to take communion this morning in remembering the work of Jesus in your life. I'll come back up here in a few minutes and I will pray us out that you respond as the Lord leads this morning.
service, but we'll continue in worship, but just want to remind you today, one, of the Pray For Me campaign, we have our potluck after church today, please stay, Mark Fowler's been working on food for that, it will be a joy and a delight as you get to, as you get to meet the person you're praying for for this upcoming year, it'll be a lot of fun, uh, if you came prepared today to give, we give, there are offering uh, baskets that are here, we have mailboxes on your way out, uh, we recognize there are many places for you to give, and we're always 
incredibly thankful and grateful for what you do in giving to Vintage so that God's kingdom continue to move. For those who are watching online or even here, you can text any dollar amount to 84321 or go to vintage242.com backslash give. Again, as Natalie said, if you're a first-time guest today, as you walk out, there'll be a table there of some people who would like to meet you, give you a welcome back. Thank you for being here. We'd love you to connect and get a connect card. Simply so I can email you and say thanks uh, for being here. Also, we are still selling our books, these How to Pray books. They are in uh, the lobby here at the table, $13 each, and you can buy one today. All right, you guys are free to go. We're going to stay in worship, so I ask that you be quiet and silent until you walk out to the foyer. But you guys have a great week. We love you. And remember, night of prayer and worship is this week, Thursday night at 7 o'clock. We'll see you then.